cloud piece. Imagine the clouds dripping. Dig a hole in your garden to put them in. 1963, spring. I actually kind of like Yoko Ono. She came up in the last episode and my reflexes in real time are like a little slow. So sometimes, you know, it's only later when I hear the recording and I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. Yoko Ono, what? I really like her. I like her book of poems, Lemonade. I think I already said that. And I like that song she did, Kiss, Kiss, Kiss. I think it's on the album Double Fantasy with John. You know Mm -hmm. that one? I know. So I like. So uh, you know, I just wanted to clarify that before we get into things. Hi, welcome to October seventh, emotionally raw coverage from Door Comet and me, Amy Sapan. Today is December fifth at six o'clock in the evening, Tuesday. We're at Door's apartment, and Hanukkah is just around the corner. The holiday, oh no, not the holiday, the festival of lights, or as Christopher Hitchens famously wrote, maybe just famous for me, in his December 2007 piece for Slate, Ba Hanukkah, that the holiday celebrates the triumph of tribal Jewish backwardness. And, you know, that whole article is fantastic. I really recommend it to any of our listeners. It's kind of like, Christopher Hitchens asking a bunch of secular Jews, like, why are you guys into this festival? If you're into like, I don't know, Greek classics or modern Epicureanism, Dionysius, God of wine, why are you into this holiday? But that's, you know, that's for another podcast. That's for another time. I'd love to get into it a little bit more, but fantastic read ahead of Hanukkah. And here we are. Last time we met up, the truce was still on. And since then, the truce is no more. The war is back on. This would be a relevant time for Cynthia Nixon to get going with that hunger strike that she was doing last week. I don't know sometimes either. You know, I'm equally perplexed. We're dealing with life imitating art. I believe it was in episode 13 that I really wondered, what would I do if there's an air raid siren? Well, I was really thinking about the looming threat of missiles from Lebanon and what would happen if we have to like, you know, pedal to the other side of town and go to a special underground bunker. But anyway, I was thinking about what would I do with my bike? You know, if there's an air raid siren or something, and then would I lock my bike? Where do I go? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I've been working on the episode descriptions a lot the past few weeks. They're almost all in, which I hope will be super useful for all of our listeners, those just joining us and those who have been with us since day one. And I was actually working on that episode with the bike. And then on the way home from the cafe, there was a little pitter patter of rain and it was very romantic and kind of a gentle, soft rain. And then boom, air raid siren. And that hasn't happened to me before. And I was like, holy, holy moly, what do I do? So I found like a little nook inside of a building and I just got 
into the nook next to the kind of like, I don't know, piping for the building and some of the like trash. And later I found out like a little puddle where like mosquitoes hang out because I was like completely bent up. But anyway, life imitating art. Sinoir, this article came out in the last two days that Sinoir was publicly hailing this like TV show last year about the attack on like that had like a fictional ah, recreation. I saw, I saw this one. Yeah, fictional recreation. It's like the it's like a version, like really, really cheap version of if it's like picky blinders would make love with the rocks and then take like the cheapest camera equipment you can imagine. This is the thing. Yeah. So it's like some some show and it like it it's apparently like a dramatization of an attack on Israel. And he he was just like publicly talking about how great it was. Like this is what we have in store for Israel. And this was like last year. Like lots of weird things going on. An article also came out yesterday or the day before that investors apparently shorted Israel. Like a bunch of them were playing with stocks heavily that had to do with like Israeli companies or Israel related companies in the week or two preceding the war. It's just, it's like you're in an episode of Black Mirror, but then like weirder things happen. Like some article came out a few hours ago that apparently Hamas was drugging the hostages before their release so that they'd appear really happy on TV. I heard, I heard them, I heard which pill they use. Ooh, which one? Clonex, of course. No way. Weren't you talking about Clonex in episode two? Yeah, which is the best. But it's weird because when you take it, it's like you almost fall asleep. You will not like be able to be chiuni. How do you say chiuni? Oh, like, pos- like positive or with it. What's chiuni, I'm feeling that my character become more and more dumb. What? Since we progress. In the beginning, I felt like, wow, I'm essential like... Essential, Essential? Can. Ah, I don't context. In the beginning, I felt so essential about this podcast. And now I feel like any idea I have in my head, I want to translate it to world and I'm not succeeding to bring the vibe, you know? Well... I'm like vibeless. You cannot be essential under the influence of Clonex. You cannot be essential <laughs> under the influence of Clonex. One time, I invite a, a girl to a date and we said that we will take Clonex like for the fun to look what's happened. And then we fell asleep. So can you imagine like for the hostages. Okay. Going with what you're saying, like they're really with it. They're waving. They're super present. So can you imagine how much stress just does not feel like the right word for this, but like how immensely in complete terror and anxiety you would have to feel like for that drug to basically kick you into something kind of in the middle, like what we saw, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're saying. It's so fucking crazy. Like Someone from the U.S. State Department said today that, by the way, there are still 136 people kidnapped in Gaza as we're recording. 
person from the U.S. State Department was reflecting on, you know, Hamas. Hamas broke the truce. Hamas didn't proffer the list of hostages. Hamas still isn't releasing the hostages. And this individual said, it seems that one of the reasons that Hamas isn't releasing some of the female hostages they're still holding on to is because of what those women will tell the world about what they've gone through. That's why they're keeping them? They're keeping them because of that. So just to be clear, for those women, October 7th is still very much going on. For many, for many, many, like what? We're in day 56 now, day 57. I'm, I've lost track of time. It, it was October, now it's December. That's horrible. It's horrible beyond. Can you, it's, I can't imagine. So how can I even ask, can you imagine? On the one hand, it's very good. You came very organized. Now you have, um, you're sitting near a table. Uh, you have your paper organized with the idea. But I want it to be also like jamming, you know? You know, I'm playing this and you're playing that. I'm saying something nonsense. You say something smart. I think I, I spoke about it in the one of the episodes, but as long as the war keep going and the hostages is still there, the message, like the subtext for me as a citizen is you should know that one day something food, 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 really bad happened and you screw. Like we will not, we will not be there for you. Wow, how it can be that the priority is to bomb and to do like crazy shit war thing in Gaza instead of like, we will give you everything, bring us the people back. Like I understand, yeah? But actually I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? The stated strategy of the Israeli government has been, we want to bring the hostages home and we need to dismantle Hamas. Both of those things need to happen because even if the hostages come home and we haven't dismantled Hamas, then how can anyone live next to the border? Not only the south border, but the border with Lebanon and Hezbollah and this whole like Iran Iranian-backed terror complex regime that's like everywhere, but like especially concentrated here in these geographic regions. And as part of the invasion of Gaza, what they said at that one of those early press conferences was we're going to go in, right? Because, and we're going to increase this military operation even more now because Hamas responds well to military action. Like they were, they're only, they only gave up some, like how many hostages, 80 hostages, 70 hostages because we put their back to a corner. That's, isn't it? I heard rumor that in like the second day, they give them an offer like, or like the prisoner Palestinian woman in return of like the Israeli women. Uh, so no one uh, knows, no one knows. Like one of the things everyone keeps talking about is how much disinformation there is here, how much psychological warfare is involved here, right? So when you hear a rumor online, it's a rumor. Like it 
could just be Hamas spreading out bullshit. It's yeah, also part also of a negotiation to watch, tactic. Like, to watch like the main news, you cannot count on any any information. Like it, what is real information? Like what do we know? Every stakeholder here has a different agenda that they're advancing through media, through social media, through whatever, through backdoor channels, through diplomacy, everything. And we don't really know. But what we see and what we keep seeing is that it kind of, some people say, look, it kind of worked. You know, there was... There were airstrikes, then there was a ground invasion, then the ground invasion, like through the ground invasion, they basically succeeded in creating some sort of like humanitarian corridor and some control over the northern portion of the strip. And then Hamas, feeling pressured, started leaving areas. The IDF was able to come in and international media and start seeing a little bit more of what was going on. They were able to obtain evidence I mean, leave aside the fact that there's a whole splinter faction of humanity now, which isn't such a tiny splinter, but it has a lot of like airtime in the digital space that's like, oh, the evidence isn't real or whatever the fuck. But like there is some consensus in the middle still. <laughs> it's it's hard to gauge, right? Like how much of this is people on the fringes and how much is in the center? How many people believe that Hamas are the good guys? How many people believe that Hamas are the bad guys? How many people still are part of this narrative? Amongst Gen Z, they're like pretty split half and half, but older generations tend to be like, okay, Hamas, terrorist organization. It's just, there's so much time on on the news being given to these like groups and movements and ideologies on the, on the, f- the far extremes. So what what is it really? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I That's the most garbled fucking response. It doesn't make any sense. I feel like our listeners are lost now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Elon Musk was here. That was interesting. More than his visit, what was interesting was after his visit, when he went back to the States and he had an interview with Sorkin, New York Times deal book, I didn't see the whole thing. I saw some excerpts and Elon Musk is like a changed man. Very like Moshe Dayan energy. Like it's not like he was wearing an eye patch, but he's wearing this like leather jacket with like a kind of um, sheep wool collar vibe. And he has one of the bring them home dog tags on respect. And he's being asked all these questions like, you know, is this just a response to your advertisers. And he says something along the lines of if my advertisers want to like blackmail me into doing things like they can go fuck themselves. And he has this, like, he literally says like, go fuck yourselves out loud a bunch of times. He's like, GFY, blah, blah, blah. And he's like holding his, and I was like, Whoa, I feel like something happened to him. I don't feel like it was the same Elon Musk before this trip. And I mean, how could anyone be the same after going where he went? He went to, I think he went to near Oz or one of the other Gaza surrounding communities. I think he met with some survivors. I think he also saw the 47, 44 minute atrocity. Why do you film. think he do that? Like what is that? There was that whole the reason like beyond all the things. 
there was some controversy surrounding Elon Musk on like tw- X. Sorry, it's very hard to like make the jump from Twitter to X. And then how would you even use X in a sentence like X's policies? Anyway, so the platform's policies with respect to some of the anti-Semitic comments and some of Elon's comments. And it wasn't clear like what was going on with him. And I, I think I even mentioned the first week he said something like, oh, this is this is such like what a thrill he was getting from some of the back and forth that was like particularly fucked up between like Israel and like deniers of the atrocities. But anyway, he came under fire and it's not the first time, but he really came under fire this time for like his anti-Semitic vibe and or like tolerance of it, whatever. And Apple and a bunch of other like huge advertisers like walked away from the platform. And then he, he came out before the trip, I think, and was like, okay, we're changing our policies with respect to from the river to the sea and all sorts of other stuff. And like, you could already see that he was like starting to clarify, like, no, I'm not like a Jew hater, et cetera. Now, obviously there's going to be speculation. Like, is Elon being for real? Is he not being for real? Is this bullshit? Is this like him just like trying to like save face and get money back or like whatever? And like, that's a separate thing. I, I I can't possibly like know what he really feels inside, but just watching Elon sitting there in his leather jacket, like holding his like dog tag and just being like, anyone that wants to bl- blackmail me, like, oh, fuck themselves. And I was like, yo, homie really was in Israel. Like he, I felt like we saw Elon before and he wasn't like combative. He wasn't like in this kind of defiant energy ever. And then I saw him sitting there and I was like, wow, like something from this place really, I don't know. He just felt like a different, the sense I got was that he was a bit of a changed man. So that was interesting. Whether we like it or not, it seems like all signs are pointing to us shuttling off to some post-materialist age and our consciousness is being captured in ether stored in the cloud in information age deluge. We've gone from the information superhighway, getting caught in the World Wide web to being sucked up into the cloud and it's raining, it's pouring, so much is going on. In this technophilic age of burning man, neo-tribal motifs, Elon Musk and his ex slash current slash who knows what partner and mother of his children, Grimes, definitely kind of occupy a little bit of that space, right? And here we are with everything happening all at once, space exploration, reverberations of barbarism from ancient times, a layer cake coming down on us, lots of condensation. It's fitting to me that it's been raining out today, but a gentle rain, not like those furious sort of thunderstorms that we had over the past few weeks here and there during some of our other sessions. Is that like something you wrote? Like a song? It's just <laughs> how I write. Ah, okay. I didn't follow. Like I didn't understand if it's something from your consciousness yeah. or like you read it from a paper. It's some some things I was thinking was thinking about today. Ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Keep oh, going. It's, it's okay. It's totally fine. I've been thinking a lot about our conversations lately. 
about the format of this podcast, about where we're going, about how we want to feel. In the last episode, I said, I want to sit here and I want to feel collected and also in touch. I want to have my finger on the pulse. I want to keep updated, keep myself abreast of what's going on. But I also want to take stock. It's a balancing act. It's lots of things happening at the same time. And it doesn't freak me out. There's something Taoistic about everything happening now, about all those highs and lows together, about how there's so much and everything also seems kind of pointless, that everything, there's so much and that there's so much meaning, but it's almost like it's nothing. I don't know if, I do know that that makes sense. I say that a lot. I say, I don't know if that makes sense, but I do. I, I, I feel it. And so somewhere between all those things on the edge of all of that, I'm feeling like things are new. I'm waking up and I feel different. I went to a different new cafe today. I met people I've never seen before. This older couple who are staying in a hostel because on October 7th, there were terrorists underneath their apartment building. And they're one of over 200,000 displaced Israelis that still aren't leaving and living in their homes. Which cafe? I went to this place called Shea Chantal. It's on Mikveh land next to Zura. It's like 10 minutes ah, biking from here. I know, I know. Like with the, with the red doors. Yeah, with the red doors. We call it, like the French. They are, they're the French. female French. Chantal is in her 60s, I think. She's French. They yeah, had family. beautiful, beautiful pastries. And on Google, people were writing about it and they're like, these are the best croissants in Tel Aviv. And I got there and I was like, the vibe here, it's like Europe. It's like what they wrote in Google, a bunch of people that had been there. They're like, for a European vibe. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I want a little bit of a European vibe. I haven't left the country in 13 months. I haven't gone on vacation. I haven't been on a plane. I want to feel like something new is happening. So I went there and I had something completely new. I had a poppy seed croissant. Poppy seeds. I love poppy seeds. We're Hungarian, Israeli Jews. So poppy seed cake to me, it's like my... Oh, I just love it so much. And I really miss my grandparents and my family. So it was a good time. And then I'm sitting there and, you know, this couple sits next to me and she's wearing a Brooklyn sweatshirt. One thing leads to another. One of our local, you know, Nalkomanim was asking for money. And then they say to me, and they're like heavy Russian Israeli accent, because a lot of people from the Russian immigration live in Zderot and next to the Gaza neighboring communities, in addition to a lot of the peace activists that I think most listeners have heard about. Um, and so they've been displaced by October 7th. And, you know, the whole conversation starts because he turns to me and he's like, I didn't know you guys had so many homeless people living in Tel Aviv. Like Sterot is a lower middle-class, you know, blue-collar city. And he was like, what's going on in your city? Like asking me quite, it was a very confusing and bewildering experience, but newness, newness, like how can I connect with something new, right? We talk about this a lot. We're like, 
where, where's the future? Where is this going? What is this new state going to be like? What is it going to be like after the war? And we've been talking about our desire to break free from news cycles. We've been talking about our desire to move forward and not go back into what there was. And so newness, how can I create a sense of feeling new, like that sense of renewal that we felt in the holiday season leading up to October 7th, when we talked about in episode one, how can I feel new without looking for a new lover, without buying a new piece of clothing, without going to a new city? How can I feel that here without moving? And can I do it by challenging myself to go somewhere I've never been that's just in my neighborhood? Can I do it by challenging my insides to meet each other in a new way? Can I do it by trying out that Pilates class at the gym or by engaging my core when I sit up so that I make an active and concerted effort to sit up straighter? What little things can I do in my day using the ingredients that I currently have, my current reality, to go forward in a new way? We talked a little bit about the acceptance phase, kind of coming to terms with what there is. This is what there is. And then how do you get to that new place? Well, can you embody that feeling of tomorrow today? Will that bring us closer to that new future that we want? I firmly believe that it would, that if each of us took the time to heal, to focus on our well-being, so that we'd be a little bit less focused, we wouldn't have to be dealing with so much illness. Okay, so I think now we'll like put a music transition, which is like well-being podcast atmosphere. I really, you came today really like positive and full of like romantic perspective about everything, including the podcast. And I'm sorry to be so downer, but for me, I uh, signed today for, uh, I'm going to be a teacher. Yay! Teacher who teach communication. Yes, where? Maybe I'm going to teach podcasting or something. I don't know. And why I do that is not because I have this, you know, like goal inside of me of being a newish or, or teach like the new miserable Israeli identity children. I do it. Maybe I want my mother to be happy. Maybe I want a little bit more money. And also, you know, maybe I said, yeah, I will go. What's going to happen? Maybe I meet like a new hot uh, academy colleague or something. But I will say to you, you keep with your romantic perspective on the world. You keep being positive. You... I thought about it while you're speaking that it seems that you are much more Israeli than I am. Why? What do you mean? You're like more like the positive way you you look at anything about, I don't know, about the city, about Judaism, about like keep our, I don't know, the, the, the way we dealing the world. No, I don't have, uh, I, uh, fuck. I don't think it, that it's, well, thank you. I think maybe 
you might call it romantic. I don't have those expectations. It's not a matter of me having low expectations from people. I don't have expectations. And it's because, and I was reflecting on your journey as well as a lot of our peers. This isn't my first time at the disco of an economic crisis or recession. My whole life was flipped upside down by the 2008 crisis, which pretty much spared Israel. When I moved here at the end of 2010, people were like, what are you talking about? What crisis? I'd lost my job. My whole life was upended and it put me way down in the dumps. It killed all of my confidence. I was not who I am in front of you today. It really, really fucked me up. But not only, it's one of the reasons that I ended up in Israel. And it's something that I'd love to talk about. And not only when we have only seven minutes left and there's other stuff I want to mention, but it's really important for me to say this because this is your first time really in in an economic crisis or recession and things happen. Your life is being thrown off course and it's throwing you in new directions and it's disorienting and it's unsettling and it's not easy and it's uncomfortable and you're going to be feeling a lot of highs and lows. And the reason that I'm able to sit here right now is because I was completely in the crisis. I was completely despondent to the point where I was basically paralyzed by my own anxieties and and, and crippling insecurities through most of my 20s after that happened and my early 30s. And it's not romantic. It's just that I've accepted that everything's possible on the mixing board at the same time. A crisis is an opportunity. And death is a rebirth. And there's, they're both two sides of the same coin, but it's a coin. And the very center of that coin is the source of everything. And so I'm not saying that in a way of saying like, I'm more evolved. It's just, I don't have expectations. So they're not gonna get lower, if that makes sense. Wising up to something requires more words than just saying, I know. And it's because there's an action involved. You have to know something and then you have to know it in your bones. When we started this podcast, it was really raw and it was really emotional. And And it was really coverage. It was real emotionally raw coverage. And we were meeting lots of times a week six days a week at the beginning or five days a week at the beginning. And now things are different. And yes, there's always every day, every hour, every five minutes, there's going to be something that comes out in the news, on social media, wherever, some new revelation, some new footage, and there's going to be endless reasons to be outraged by something that someone said, like Ilana Glazer, what the fuck, your latest social media? I can't even get into this right now. (laughs) There's way more than just three good Jews though, I'll say that. But we could do that. We could keep saying, oh my God, I'm gonna get outraged. Oh my God, I'm gonna get outraged. Or we can kind of shift a little bit. And so we're shifting. We're gonna be doing one episode once a week. It'll be roughly 45 minutes in length. and we're going to have other new ground rules in place really there to help us fly. 
mailbag segments where we take questions from our listeners and a little bit of like slower stories. We'll get into ChatGPT. We'll get into the Cowboys and Evangelicals, Black Hebrews, basketball, lots of topics. And it'll be a little bit slower. But for now, it's a new format that we're drafting. I guess it's a little bit of a restart. We'll end with this. Well, (laughs) I'm reading a book called The Ending of Time, and it's dialogues between J. Krishnamurti and Dr. David Bohm, who was a physicist and I guess a a philosopher, and he related a lot to consciousness. And J. Krishnamurti is a spiritual figure for those who may not know. I'm going to do this pretty quickly, but in the first dialogue, which is a conversation they had on the 1st of April in 1980, they start getting into the root of the matter and the matter of their dialogues. The following question, has humanity taken a wrong turn, which has brought about endless division, conflict, and destruction? Krishnamurti wonders whether Perhaps the issue is that mankind has always tried to become something and that becoming is the source of conflict. And they get into a whole conversation, which is very, very dense and all of this. And then towards the end of that conversation, Krishnamurti says, has mankind journeyed through millennia to come to this, that I am nothing and therefore I am everything and all energy? To which Bohm replies, well, it can't be the end in the sense that it might be the beginning. But by beginning, they mean in the sense of movement that has not the order of time. So Krishnamurti offers this compromise. He says, so we'll use the word beginning and deprive it of time. And Bohm says, because ending and beginning are no special time. In fact, they can be any time or no time. Krishnamurti responds, no time. Then what takes place? What is happening? And later he goes on to say, after this long talk, nothing means everything. Everything is energy. And we have stopped there, but that isn't the end. And if it's not the end, then what's going on? Is that creation? Bohm confirms, yes, it's something like that. And Krishnamurti says, but not the art of creating like writing or painting. And Bohm says, perhaps later we can discuss what we mean by creating. I think that's a good point to end on. We'd like to, we're not going to sing. When you, when you spoke about that you were holding a glass, yeah, that the rain will pour, you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about the video clip of Outcast in the rain. You remember this one? In the rain? Ooh. Ooh. I, I do the ooh or you do the ooh? Together. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Jackson. Ooh, I, I am for real. real. Never meant to make your daughter cry I apologize a trillion times I'm sorry, Miss Jackson Ooh, I am for real Never meant to make your daughter cry I apologize a trillion times Miss Jackson, my intentions were good I wish I could become a magician to abracadabra All the sadder thoughts of me Thoughts of she, thoughts of he Asking what happened to the feeling that her and me had I pray so much about it, need some knee pads It happened for a reason, one can't be mad So know this, know that everything's cool And yes, I will be present on the first day of school and graduation Oh, I, I, I 
apologize a trillion times, a trillion times. Oh, Miss Jackson. Mm. Look at the way he treats me. Oh, shit. Look at the way you treat me. You see your little nosy ass homegirls done. Got your ass sent up the creek tree. Without a paddle, you left to straddle and ride the thing on out. And now you and your girl ain't speaking no more. Cause my dick all in her mouth know what I'm talking about. Jealousy, infidelity, envy. Cheating to beating in the year 2G. They be the same thing, but who you placing the blame on? You keep singing on singing the same, same song. One, two, three, and. Let bygones be bygones. You can go on and get the hell on you and, and your mama. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh. I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. Thank you, Maya Schlesinger. Thank you, Shema, Jonathan Gall, Maya Schlesinger, Door Comet. I'm Amy Sapan. And you are listening to Emotionally Raw Coverage. And if you liked what you heard and you want to stay connected, there are a few ways you can do that. You could follow us on Instagram, October 7th, the podcast. You could shoot us an email, October 7th, the podcast at gmail.com. You could consider becoming a patron over on a Patreon, October the 7th, the podcast. Oh, you can, you can tell us how you feel. You can tell us what, what's on your mind. We love hearing from you. You could even just say hi, consider rating, consider sharing. Until next time, stay safe and stay tuned. Love.